everybody. Oh my goodness. Hello. So much of Kristen and Jenny in your ears over the last few weeks. We're on a streak, aren't we, Jenny? We can't be tamed. <laughs> See, all you needed to do to get more podcasts from us was to lock us in our houses. And there you go. Help. It's all we can do. <laughs> so, Jenny, um, are you excited about this chat I had with Claire Kramer? I'm very excited. It's a really great chat. I think everybody's going to love it so much. She's a delight. And she, Claire does, and we'll talk a little bit about it, but Claire does a lot of cons and a lot of moderating of panels. And you can tell listening to this interview why she's so good at talking. Um, She's got great stories. We want to, of course, give you a heads up. This should be assumed for any of the interviews that we do on this show. Um, When we interview a cast member, especially one that has a role as large as Claire Kramer does, there will be spoilers. We will be spoiling things through the end of uh, the season. Uh, So please, please, please know that if you have not finished the season, you should wait to listen to this interview. I also want to make a note that Claire and I had this conversation maybe like two months ago, a month and a half ago. And so at one point we talk about, uh, you know, like what what she would do to like fix the world, uh, sort of a play on Glory saying she could crap a better existence. So just a note that we um, were talking in the time before all of this uh, has been going on with the pandemic. So I'm sure that Claire would have probably talked about that a bit too, but it didn't exist okay. yet. So hearkening uh, back to a time before oh, we knew. Were we ever so young? We could hug each other and just like, smash our bodies up against each other with abandon uh, back then. So I bet you Gloria is being even cautious about how many brains she sucks these days. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, hey, do you want to hang out with us on Instagram Live? Of course you do. <laughs> well, okay. So there are a lot of proms not happening right now. And um, we thought it would be nice for those of you who are meant to be at a prom, but can't be at a prom, be it ours or your high school prom, uh, or just some theoretical prom, uh, you can celebrate prom with us on Saturday, April 18th at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. We will be watching Buffy's season three, episode 20, The Prom, together. Wow. Can you believe it? I can uh, believe And then that. on Saturday, May 16th, we will be watching graduation day parts one and two that's season three episode 21 and 22 on uh again may 16th at 11 a.m pacific 2 p.m eastern a lot of celebratory event-based viewing parties coming up on our instagram live yeah yeah it's really exciting it's you know really to honor those of you who are like jenny said missing your proms and those of you who are missing your graduation uh, obviously high school and college, any graduation counts, though this will be a high school graduation episode. Uh, and a note. Oh my God. No big deal. Frank's going to be graduating from his training program right around that time. Okay. Too. If Frank doesn't have a tiny cap with a tassel, I am firing you from the podcast. Okay. I understand. Great. I'm so you better I'm make sure break that out that the sewing machine now. <laughs> Um, yes. And like Jenny said, Instagram live is where you'll see, um, her and I, and where we'll be talking, um, through the watches, but we'll also probably do like a thread on our Facebook page, the the public Facebook page or something like that. So we can also chat. It's a little bit better of a platform for typing to each other than Instagram is because the comments there disappear very quickly. So more information to come 
Also want to remind you that uh, in this time of social isolation, Joanna Robinson and I have started a Patreon podcast called Feels Like the First Time. We are... We are now uh, through. I am now uh, familiar with Lord of the Rings, the extended versions. Thank you very much. Wow. And wow. I just finished watching uh, the last Indiana Jones movie, which is the third movie. I have been explicitly informed that there is o- there the are only movie doesn't three. Count. It does not yeah. count. Although I learned that Kate Blanchett is in it, so I am curious. But um, yeah, I have watched- even Kate Blanchett can't save that. That movie. is that is what everyone says. So um, if you want to hear me uh, imagining what I think these movies are about and then hear me talking about how I felt after watching them, you can do that. Any of our $2 or higher patrons over at patreon.com slash bufferingcast get those episodes as they come out. And they're also available to those who support Joanna's podcast, The Storm. And that Patreon is patreon.com slash stormofspoilers. One more thing about our Patreon. It's pretty bopping over there um, for the reasons we've been discussing. And uh, Jenny and I last week released a special episode for our $10 plus patrons. What we call uh, a rewatch, Jenny. Rewatch. Oh, 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 oh. I was going to make a jingle for this, but it's so fun to have to just do it on command. Oh, uh, we rewatched season three. Also, that like really alarmed Frank, who is sleeping in my lap. Oh, poor Frank. He'll get used to it. Um, we're, and it's good that Frank is sitting in your lap. Honestly, he needs to try to to start practicing being here with us so that he could start howling out with us soon. I've been practicing with him. He's really interested when I howl, <laughs> but I haven't got him to howl along yet. <laughs> well, we've got time. So um, anyhow, we rewatched Bad Girls, uh, an episode you're probably familiar with. We talked about it again, and it was really fun. So that episode is up now. Ah, we got book clubs. Jenny's doing Xena hangouts over there. It's a yes. fun time. And, you know, it, it should go without saying, obviously, this is a hard time for everyone. Um, we're going to talk in a minute about what we're doing for our community. But it's also an amazing time if you can support us to support us um, because Patreon is a crowdfunded space. It is one of the spaces where we're able to continue sustaining the work. Um, we're seeing, you know, just like the rest of the world, some hits in other places where we used to be able to sustain like uh, ads and sales and things like that. So if you can support us, it's always appreciated. Um, it really helps us keep chugging along over here. Something amazing is going on. And that is uh, that so far we have been able to donate over $3,000 of your donated funds to those who have asked for small gifts uh, to support groceries, rent, and other needs during this very strange and uncertain time. Um, It is so humbling and amazing uh, to watch this process. Mm -hmm. And thank you so much to everyone who has donated up to this point. Um, We have been just like feeling... Um, really overwhelmed. Yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of crying going on. A lot of crying, uh, the good kind, um, to balance the not good kind. (laughs) Um, but it's, it's (laughs) been really powerful because we've also gotten emails from, um, some of you who have been able to receive these, um, you know, small gifts that's between 25 and a hundred dollars. And, um, some of you have let us know what it's helped support and that's really powerful too. So to those of you who are like, what are you talking about? You're just learning about this campaign. You can go to bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash just keep fighting. Um, and you can 
can find out ways that you can give or ways that you can uh, tell us that you need. Um, and our community has been one for years at this point that has sort of lifted each other up in ways that are, you, you couldn't list them all if you tried. So this is mm -hmm. a really special thing to be able to harness that. And, and also a note that we know at this point, um, we're using Cash App. And so that does mean that if you're outside of the United States, um, you're not able to donate um, and also not able to request, though I have to say that the majority of the people who have written in have been like, I want to give you money, but I'm overseas. Uh, and so I, we are aware of that at this point. Um, we're going to stay on Cash App just um, for our own internal purposes. Um, but if we can expand it out, we absolutely will. Um, and you can find out more again, bufferingthevampireslayer.com slash just keep fighting. Thank you so much to everyone who has given. Yeah. Also, it's raining in California right now. What the heck? Uh, which is, you know, vaguely apocalyptic. And <laughs> one thing about the rain is that it gets in your eyes. And one thing about your eyes is that you need them to see. And one thing that we can offer you at this moment in time to uh, beat back the ravages of rain in your eyes is a new Buffering the Vampire Slayer uh, dad cap. Yeah, in we our got store. a black dad yeah, cap. Yeah, little... Hot little logo with the stake and the hand and the moon all embroidered on a nice, crisp, black dad hat. <laughs> Looks so good. I'm going to get one. Yeah, uh, me too. And you can't stop me. Um, you can find out, of course, all about our podcast, all about our store, all about our Patreon, all about pretty much anything we've ever done at bufferingthevampireslayer.com. But now, why don't we shut up so that um, you can hear from Claire Kramer. She really wants to hear her talking right now. <laughs> so, hello. Claire Kramer, welcome to Buffering the Vampire Slayer. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Oh, we're so excited. Everyone is just beside themselves that we get to hear a little bit about your experience on uh, the show. By the time that this airs, we'll be a little further along in Glory's journey. But when we're recording, we've just learned your name. So we've been uh, referring to you as Strong Blonde uh, because we are spoiler free in the podcast. And so oh, we couldn't even my, call you Glory. Right that is not, Glorificus, I believe, is my full name. It's but true. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> So, you know, there's a lot to discuss, but we love to start at the very beginning um, with your entry into the show. I mean, this is now we're in season five. So the show was on the air for a bit before you came to it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your audition process and if you knew the show before you auditioned? Sure. Actually, I'll answer that second part of the question first. I did know about the show because I had just finished filming a movie called Bring It On, which I co-starred with of it. Eliza Dishku. In And, of course, she was playing Faith at the time, um, either on Buffy or Angel. I believe Angel, she did a crossover episode right yeah. after we got done filming. And so I had gone over to her house and we'd watched it. And so I had – I was aware of the shows through her. I had not watched them other than her episodes. Um, but I did know it was a very cool, hip show, something that was exciting to be a part of. 
So when the audition came in, I was definitely game for going in. The audition was basically for Glory. They didn't list the character's name. I, I If I remember correctly, it, I think the character was listed as Sherry or Cherry. I'm not sure which, <laughs> but one of those two names, yeah. And basically the description was female. So it could have been literally any one or it's not one of those things where the actor walks into the audition room and everyone looks exactly like them and you're like, oh, well, I guess, you know, it'll be an arbitrary casting. Like literally there was no character description. So for some reason I got into this female audition and the the scene was kind of the same way. It was very nondescript, very casual, nothing glorious about it at all, just very plain. And huh. I thought, you know, if I'm going to have a chance at, like, getting this part on this cool sci-fi genre show, then I'm going to go in and do something, like, totally different that no one else is going to be able to, you know, think to do, you know? And so I based my audition – I I – since there was not a lot of to work with in terms of a character description or the sides on the you know side directions or scene descriptions, I'm like I'm just going to base her on Jack Nicholson from The Shining, <laughs> and oh so God. I went in and I just totally did this crazy audition, and I left and I remember walking to my car in the parking lot and being like, well, I either I'm going to get the part or I'm never going to be seen by this casting you know, director again. And just before I got to my car, I got a call and they were like, what did you do in the room? And I'm like, well, I just went in and did this kind of crazy. They're like, they want you back tomorrow. Don't change anything. Wear the same thing, do the same hair, whatever. So I went back the next day and it was just myself there for the female character. And then there was a guy reading for this other male character who was Charlie Weber, who (laughs) eventually would be revealed to be Ben. And they had us each read, and I believe I went in first, and then they said, okay, wait out there. And then he went in and read and came out, and then Joss basically came out and was like, okay, you guys got the job. Oh, and my that, God. And that's the only time in my career that's ever happened. And let me you know, tell you, it's a great feeling when it does. <laughs> yeah, you're and you're not – I can't remember who else, but I, you're not the first person to tell us that, like, the casting process was the only time that, like, it had happened the way that it – it sounds like that they were making decisions, like, from their gut in, in this show. Yeah, um, and, and it also, at least during, you know, season five or, or the prep for season five when I came in, is they had the authority – to usurp like the whole network process, especially wow. for these reoccurring characters. You know what I mean? So right. we didn't have to go screen test. We didn't have to go in front of like a million Fox executives, which we've all done a million times and it's very nerve wracking. It was a very casual, like organic process. Okay. There were so many beautiful nuggets of information in that answer. Like A, the first time that you came to Buffy the Vampire Slayer was via Bring It On. Yes. <laughs> which is really fun because a lot of, as soon as we said we were talking with you, a lot of people were like, can you ask her about Bring It On? Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, we love ourselves the uh, Faith Glory crossover, of course, that we get in that movie. But then also that you didn't know like that glory didn't not only didn't have a name but that you didn't even know you were auditioning to play a god Um, we didn't even i don't think that the writers even knew she was a god like i think that maybe because if i remember correctly the way i found out by the way that she was a god was when i read it in the script you know (laughs) (laughs) so 
I think a lot of, especially with the start of the character, they brought her in. They wanted to see if she was going to work, if mm-hmm. if I was going to fit with the cast, if, you know, I was going to be able to handle the dialogue, if the, you know, all these different components had to mesh sort of in this perfect harmony situation before they were willing to commit to, like, the rest of her storyline. I think wow. that's why... A lot of times in the first several episodes you see Glory, there's a lot of repetitive dialogue. It may be a different scene or a different location or a different character she's talking to, but there's a lot of repetition before her storyline really gets kind of like moving in a way. Wow. So you had, I mean, you basically just answered this, but you had no idea that this was a full, th- you had no idea that you were the big bad of season five. No, I mean, I was, were uh, the big bad trust of me, five. I was hoping I was in yeah. my little honey wagon praying that I would be able to stick around, <laughs> you know, but no, I, there were no guarantees certainly. And I was not consulted, obviously as a young actress, this was my first time ever doing television. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't of the caliber as an artist where people like Joss or, you know, David Greenwald or Jane Espenson or all these great writers and and creatives were coming to me to bounce ideas off of me. I was just, you know, there to serve my very small job, which was to play the character. Right, right. So so you found out that Glory was a god when we found out, basically, that Glory was a god. Uh, a couple, yeah, a couple weeks before. Right. When, the right. Script, couple weeks before. when the script got delivered, and, and this back in this day when we were filming Buffy, was when scripts would come to your house at night with changes, you know, and there'd be blue pages and pink pages and <laughs> yellow pages and new scripts and nothing was emailed or sent, you know, it was all sent via messenger. So yeah. the script would come and I immediately always would flip through to the end to make sure that I didn't die. <laughs> and then once I saw some dialogue there towards the end, I would satisfy myself. Then I would read the script. And I remember coming up and being like, glory is a God or whatever the line at the moment was and being like, you know what? That would have been really helpful that <laughs> they would have told me that. <laughs> but okay, <laughs> here we go. Did you find out the other sort of like, because Glory has a lot of reveals, right? It's like, we learn that Glory's a god. We learn, I don't, I hope I'm not spoiling this for you, but we learn that Glory is Ben and Ben is Glory. And also that Dawn is the key. So I'm wondering if, like, are were those things that you also found out as you went, as you read the script? Yes, they were. Yes, absolutely. At first I thought like Charlie and I were going to be twins. I was like, oh, we're like Sweet Valley High twins, you know? <laughs> and then, you know, we kind of didn't have these scenes together and I'm like I know they wanted us to look alike because they kind of measured our faces I'm like a foot shorter than Charlie but (laughs) they had kind of gotten our faces the same a little bit you know what I mean right Um, right. and so I'm like I know they want us to look alike what is it and of course then it it turns out you know I'm stealing his body as my human vessel (laughs) yeah you get to they were probably measuring your faces because of the like what was then almost a brand new effect of morphing you into each other exactly Uh, right I don't know how I don't know how that works but I imagine it involves some kind of math Uh, (laughs) right (laughs) so tell us then after you learn I mean I'm I don't mean to erase the whole part before you learn that you're a god, but some of the questions I have are about, like, you had a lot of theater experience before you came to the show, um, mm-hmm. and you've done a ton of work um, overall. So I wonder, and we all wonder, sort of what it was like. Then you find out you're a god. Does it change your approach to the character? Did it inform the way that you approached Glory? No. At that point, I was fully committed to who she was and how mm-hmm. I was portraying her. And so there wasn't a way that I could have made those changes with them 
aligning to who she was. You know what I mean? And so yeah. actually, it's interesting because my initial reaction was, you know, I should have known that at the beginning and I would have done this and mm -hmm. that differently. And, you know, but actually in retrospect, I think that it was the right decision for whatever reason it was kept from me, yeah. whether they didn't know or they didn't want to tell me as a young actress or whatever. I feel like it was the right decision because she was created. It, it wasn't the focus of the character, the mm -hmm. godness, you know, and I think yeah. as a young artist, I may have had the tendency, I don't know, but I may have had the tendency to like play her a certain, like a very regal or very this or that. But instead, I just made these kind of choices rooting her in her wants and her desires and not really worrying about the labels of what or whom she was, if that makes any yeah, sense. That, it does. That makes total sense. And um, so my co-host on the show, Jenny, who's not with us today, but um, is super excited as well to have you on the show. One of the questions that she sent along to me was sort of in that vein, because the big bads that we get on Buffy, um, for the most part, are fairly like simple in what they want. They either want to destroy the world or they want to kill Buffy or some combination therein. But Glory has this incredibly complicated storyline, right? She's a god. She needs the key. She has minions. There's enemies. There are these like, you know, there's just so many different elements. And so hearing you talk because her question was like, did it feel as complicated to play all of that as it seems like it might? But I think, again, you sort of spoke to that by saying because you didn't know all of those complicated pieces before, you sort of reached the character um, in your own way and then held on to that even as these things were revealed. Right. And, you know, it, it's interesting because, of course, you know, she does destroy Buffy in whatever capacity at the end of, you know, the final episode of season five. But her goal is never to hurt or harm Buffy or to hurt or harm Dawn or to wreak yeah. havoc in Sunnydale. Her goal is to get home. She was banished. She's a misfit in this world. She doesn't like being there particularly, you know. <laughs> she's found a few things that make her happy, bubble baths and mimosas and her minions. But she's not <laughs> there to destroy. She's there to get back to her old life, you know? Mm -hmm. And when you mm -hmm. take it from that perspective, it's like, I'm sorry, Buffy, but if I've got to kill your sister or you, then that's how it's going to be because I'm going to get what I need, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's really not that different than any of us as humans. I mean, our parameters are quite different, but, you know, we all want what's best for ourselves. We want to do the right thing for ourselves. And sometimes there are casualties along the way, you know, mm -hmm. and Glory's casualties just happen to be exponentially larger <laughs> than yeah. mine or yours. <laughs> God size, you right? Might the, say. You know, she opened a portal to another universe. That's not her fault <laughs> that that had to happen, you know? <laughs> so you mentioned um, Jack Nicholson and The Shining in your audition um, as like, you know, influencing some of your approach in the room. And I wonder, you know, A, did you have any other influences as the character developed? And B, is there any of you in Glory? Um, like, are we seeing any... Are there any overlaps between Claire and Glory? <laughs> okay, so Jack Nicholson was a good like jumping off point for me because when you when you're creating a character as an artist, especially for an audition where there's not a lot of prep time, as I said, there's not a lot of description in the pages, there's not a lot of direction given to you. You need to root your performance in something. You know what I mean? You've got to like so oftentimes you'll pick a character you've worked on before, or you'll pick a character from a play you know really well, just a starting point, you know? So yeah. he was like my starting point. And I think the highs and lows of Glory, you know, that was 
drawn and inspired by the highs and lows of, you know, his character in The Shining. As I got more comfortable with the dialogue and was seeing what was being written and and the settings and things like that, I wouldn't say there was another influential figure or anything like that. I just feel like I locked in and sort of became free, a little bit freer with my expressions, with my movements, a little bit more willing to take risks, more comfortable. And that's sort of, for me, the process with Glory. And is there Claire and Glory? Absolutely. There's there's a lot of me in that character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I never viewed her as, a, as an antagonist. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Again, she had objectives and goals like many of the other characters on the show hers were a little larger a little more damaging (laughs) but but I never as an actress playing her I never once focused on the bad or the evil or the you know I mean Mm -hmm. she she just was who she was and so Mm -hmm. I I really it was a it was a special time for me as an artist too because as I mentioned it was my first time working on television and I was not jaded and very fearless (laughs) (laughs) which is a hard combination to recapture (laughs) now 20 years later. You know what I mean? Right, Um, right, of course. Artists artists go through ebbs and flows in their creativity as well. And it was a really creative time in my life that I played that character. That's amazing. And and it echoes, but we had the opportunity to speak to Harry Groner um, back when we were in season three. Um, and and I think that, you know, uh, the mayor, Glory, these are some of the uh, favorites right. of the universe. And, and I think that like, you know, the overlap in hearing both of you talk is something that I've heard from a couple of other actors on the show as well, which is like, I'm not playing to be bad. Like nobody, most people don't think that they're being bad they're just going after what they want and if you play like the humanity or i guess that's a little odd in your case because it was a god you were a god but um but you know but what? Yeah, she was like... a very human character you know what i mean yeah the whole yeah. show was set in this you know the backdrop of science fiction which uh, and so you know we had you know vampires and angels and gods and whatnot but it, it mm. allowed i think the audience to break down their own guard and affiliate more openly with the characters because Mm -hmm. they weren't looking at just like, you know, 90210 or, or, (laughs) you know what I mean? It was, it was different. Yeah. You can be more fantastical and somehow get get closer to real life. It's, it's the beauty of, I think the genre. Right. Exactly. So let's talk about being a woman for a moment. Um, (laughs) No problem. (laughs) Because so we met Drusilla was, um, you know, one half of the big bat of season two um, in a pairing with Spike. But you're the first and you're the only uh, solo big bad who's a woman. You're pitted against Buffy. So we have for the first time, really, uh, the big bad and Buffy pitted against each other, both incredibly powerful female characters. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what that experience was like during filming. And also, you know, if you want to go past filming even into the now uh, interacting with fandom. Well, I, you know, first at the time I wasn't really aware that she was the only, you know what I mean? The only female and the first female, but I, I did sense there was a lot of responsibility there because Sarah Michelle Gellar obviously is an incredible actress, had been on the show, you know, this was the fifth season. She's, it's called Buffy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> She's leading the show. And a, a lot of my scenes were either with her or the minions. So, you know, primarily out, out of the main cast, she was whom I worked with. And she's so polished, so professional, and very generous as an actor. 
And I just, I really learned so much by working with her and, and through working with her about what it takes to lead a show, to be number one on the call sheet, to mm-hmm. have that responsibility of, you know, millions of dollars an episode on your shoulders at such a young age, you know, she just yeah. really had it all together. So my takeaway wasn't so much like, oh, this is really cool. It's a big female lead and another female and we're having this storyline. My takeaway was like, wow, here's this girl who grew up in the business. She's amazing. She's talented. She's professional. This is someone I want to be like in my career. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So she, she, although, you know, we're pretty much the same age, I believe, um, I really – she, I really learned a lot from her. She was a mentor, I guess you could say, because wow. I didn't have any experience. You know, I'm just coming in blind and just, just, you know, in every way she taught me what it was like to be a good number one. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think something that's equally powerful for us as the viewers then in, in the early 2000s and now in the 20s, I guess right, we've arrived. Tw- now, <laughs> yikes! <laughs> what um, happened? <laughs> um, but you were also a very femme forward, uh, big bad, right? I mean, Glory's fashion, right? And Glory's hair, Glor- like we we have um, we do a special segment with uh, Kate Leth, uh, who does a fashion watch on our podcast, and so she's just in her glory, no pun intended, this right. season because. Because they had you dressing in red leather and red velvet and heels. Um, And so I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about that, about um, the outfits and the hair. People are very curious to know how long it took to get your hair to do those miraculous things. All right. Well, definitely the outfits, you know, they lent themselves to the character. And the more I would put on the clothes, the more freeing I would feel, you know what I mean? The more glamorous, mm-hmm. the more lace and leather and, <laughs> you know, <laughs> diamonds and faux jewels. Yeah. You know, it really, I'm I'm sort of the type of actress that I like the wardrobe and the hair and everything to sort of help take away Claire and bring out glory. So it was mm-hmm. really great for me to have all that at my fingertips. Um, sometimes the wardrobe department went too far. <laughs> <laughs> I remember coming in one time and... Oh man, this is this is really funny. I, I don't know if I've ever shared this, but I guess now your <laughs> listeners will know. Um, I came in, and a lot of times how it would work is they would figure out what Sarah was going to wear, and then they'd build out mm-hmm. the characters and the colors. So for if this episode she's wearing a lot of you know black, then you're not going to see anyone else really wearing black, or you know what I mean. So sure. um, they had built out her wardrobe for this one episode and it was primarily like red. So I'm like, okay, that's great. So like, we want to try a different color on you. And the costumer pulls out, I'm not kidding, a very thin bell-bottomy pair of silver pants. And (laughs) I looked at her and I was like, that's not the character at all. Like, that's not Glory. She No, she would never wear that. Well, then later I find out they had blown their budget on Sarah and <laughs> Allison. And these were her Halloween pants that the, no. the costumer had worn out on Halloween. And she was going to try to get me to wear on the show. <laughs> so oh my God. I said, no, that's not going to work. We're going to have to go back to the drawing boards for that. Um, anyway. Wow. It, wow! She did. Thank goodness you had said no. We would have we, well, we would have been laughing about it today. It would have been a talking point. I mean, point. there's very few battles I fought on that show, but that was one of them where I was like, "I'm not wearing those pants." 
Sorry. (laughs) Um, But yes, the wardrobe was great and the hair. Okay, so this is another funny story. So the audition that I was telling you about at the top of the episode where I went in and and did this crazy audition. So I did not blow dry my hair for that audition. I I washed it and I kind of scrunched it up with like, I don't know if anybody else here has curly hair, but there used to be this like Aussie scrunch spray, Mm -hmm. you know, in this little purple bottle with the pink kangaroos jumping all across (laughs) it. So I used that. I scrunched up my hair and I'm like, I'm just going to have crazy hair. And so I went in. So the original glory hair was completely my hair. Nothing done to it. No craziness, you know. But of course, the hair guy on the show wants to keep his job. So he's got to come up with a process to make my totally natural hair (laughs) take two hours to do to look 10 times worse (laughs) than it did. So if you watch my hair throughout the season, like the first couple episodes, it's a certain way. And then it starts getting like another way. And then mm-hmm. it's like get it, and then by the final episode, it's like ringlets. I'm like Shirley Temple. I'm like I don't right, know what happened. Right. Anyway, that's the original glory hair is basically what my hair is like. Wow. <laughs> so he he was just recurling every curl. He on was your recurling, head. and then he'd put in like a a color gel, and then it, I'm like, oh. dude, you don't have to do like literally. I'll wash my hair and come to work, and you're good. <laughs> You just made me wonder if people still scrunch their hair. Like it's that's so familiar to me. I like know. we would scrunch our hair, but I when you said it, I was like, huh, that's a thing I haven't heard in a while. I know, I right? Wonder if and that it's also like, stopped. Back in those days, I remember, I don't know if you used to do this as well, but I it, when I used a blow dryer, I would flip my head upside down yeah. and blow dry my hair upside down. I haven't done that in a decade or more, you know? Yeah, we would flip our hair upside down. And also at one point for like my curl, I don't have hair as curly as yours, but I would use a diffuser on the end of the oh. blow dryer too. Uh, that? Yeah. Anyway. Yes. The process, the process has changed. Now it's like more about like the Moroccan oil and you know, the beach wavy spray. Yes. Yes. Right. Now I use a salt spray. So I'm yeah. trying to keep, I'm trying to keep hip with the kids. Uh, right. Me too. I want to smell diffuser. good for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> when I pick up my kids, I want to smell nice. <laughs> <laughs> so actually that's a question that I didn't even have written down, but you brought up having kids. Have your kids seen uh, you on the show? Well, okay. Let's see. They are six, seven, nine, and 11. So, and I let them watch anything, but they are not allowed to use any technology. They don't have iPads, phones, nothing like that, but they're allowed to watch any movie they want, except I recently did have to turn off, um, if it has sex in it, I'm like very uncomfortable. I'm like, no, (laughs) turning this off. (laughs) But, uh, they have seen parts of Buffy. We haven't done the series yet. The series that they're watching right now, they're going through vampire diaries right now. Oh, and they yeah. finished Riverdale, so they're excited Riverdale got renewed for another season. Nice. Um, but they are ready to watch it. They're ready, but they are going to do a season one to season seven watch. They won't just like throw on an episode. They're like dedicated, like completionists when it comes to TV. Yeah. So, I know. I wonder where they get that. <laughs> I was, I'm like that. I fully understand that. Like you're going to do something, you have to do it all the way. Right. Me too. And so, and they really love Pretty Liars, like everything, you know, and so, I haven't seen that yet, actually. Yeah, well, I can, I can tell you about it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't spoil me. <laughs> right? Um, but they are definitely ready. They've seen a lot of my other stuff. So, yeah, yeah. They, they, they think it's cool. They like it. 
so fun. Well, when they start um, watching the series from the beginning, you can let them know. I don't know if you even know this, but um, we do an original song for every episode from Buffy's, per- usually from Buffy's perspective. So they'll have a whole library of music to go <gasps> oh, along with their wow. viewing. That'd be great. Which is, which is fun. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. They would love that. Actually, um, that's a good segue because uh, the episode that went up this week, the week that we're taping, is the episode, I'm not sure if you remember this one, but you take a cobra out of the zoo and mm-hmm. you put it in a, a vase, if you will, and you blow it up to be a giant cobra that terrorizes, you know, you're supposed to find the key and yes. tell you, but then Buffy And it goes down it. the street of Sunnydale and it's like yeah. this wonderful CGI, like lizard thing <laughs> that had never been done before. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I, I didn't, uh, this was a question I added because I had just watched the episode and I was like, you know, I have to ask her about working with both the the real cobra, like the snake itself, and right. then the man in a snake suit, because it seems like there could be some stories there. <laughs> well, uh, they were equally terrifying. No. Um, <laughs> the, actually, the funniest story is so, there's two funny stories about that episode. Okay, so one has to do with the with the working with the snakes. In all, when we're in the, I don't know what they call it, the cave where there's all the different cages with the snakes or whatever. Yes, I think it's the Hall of Reptiles. Yeah, the Hall of <laughs> Reptiles. So original. Um, the Hall of Reptiles. <laughs> so they actually did have, even though you really don't, you're not able to tell when you're watching the episode, they really did have live snakes in each of those cages. Right. Um, so all of a sudden we're like, and they would use these big, long, like sort of sticks like rake you know like the end of a Mm -hmm. broom or a rake or something to prod the snakes to get them to where they wanted them to be and then we'd film so all of a sudden they're like girls go sit down and then they're like girls stand up and then they moved our chairs like way back and then we're like all right girls sit down stay here (laughs) we're like what's going on well it turns out one of the snakes had escaped into the wall of the set and they couldn't find it they weren't sure where it was, and it had oh, only eaten three God. days ago. So they're like, it may be hungry. The snake trainer's like, I don't know. It may be hungry. It may not. Oh, oh I just remember Sarah and I were like, what is going on here? <laughs> um, wow. And it took them a couple hours to wrangle that snake out of the set walls. And then I think they're like, we don't need that snake anymore. He's wrapped, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. So, and you didn't, I imagine you didn't film during that entire saga. No, no, I don't think so. It, yeah, I don't. I think think they're like take an early lunch or whatever it was. <laughs> the <laughs> the other funny thing about that episode, which is not so funny, haha, but it's an interesting fact. So we used to call the show Buffy the Weekend Slayer. I didn't start that. So <laughs> the cast started that way before I got there. But they called it that because usually by the time you got around to Friday, you your call time would be like noon or one. And then you'd film till like 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. Saturday morning, you know, and then you'd have your, you know, day and a half off or whatever. And then Monday morning, you'd be back in at like 5 a.m. So it was one of those nights where it was like super late. We were filming the fight scene there and I was in that red leather dress and we're fighting and Sarah had two great stunt doubles during that episode or during that season and both of them were named Michelle. And (laughs) so it was one of the Michelle's 
turns and we were doing the scene and, you know, we film my perspective of it and it's all going great. And then, you know, we turn around and they film Sarah with my stunt double and that all goes great. And then they're like, okay, now closer up on Claire, you know, and it's like two or three in the morning, of course, everybody's tired. You've had 15 coffees and like a thousand bags of trail mix at this point. <laughs> and so we're filming and I don't know what happened, but I literally punched Michelle right between the eyes so hard she sunk down just like she was supposed to. I said the rest of my line, and then they yelled cut, and then she is not moving. I knocked <gasps> her out. Oh, and my God. <laughs> she had two deep black eyes and a huge welt in between, <gasps> like on her forehead, and she couldn't work for a couple of weeks, and they called her the unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> And but you know what? I was like, she came to, they gave her the smelling salts, you know, like whatever everything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Michelle, I'm so sorry. I feel so bad. She's like, it's my rite of passage, you know? So for a stunt person, I think she was happy it happened. Right, a badge of honor. Right, you know, but I, I felt horrible. Wow, that's remarkable. You really had channeled uh glorious power. Right? I guess so. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. We we talked to um uh, Sophia Crawford, who was Sarah Michelle Gellar's stunt double in the first four seasons. Yes. Um, and talking to her, it was just like, you know, if I had heard this story before talking to Sophia, I would be like, oh, no, that poor stunt double. But after talking to Sophia, I'm like, if any, if the stunt doubles are like you, that's like, you know, yeah. hell yeah. Oh, yeah. They're like, they're, they're all jazzed. Like, I got, yeah. I got burnt, you know, or... <laughs> Um, some of our some of our listeners uh, sent in a couple of questions, and one of them is related actually to stunts. Um, Khalil wrote in and said, "I read that you loved doing the stunts and the physical work for Glory, given how powerful she was. What were the notes or the fighting style that they developed for her?" Well, I mean, there was a great stunt coordinator and stunt team during season five, um, and if I remember correctly, there wasn't really a lot of like specific fighting style Glory had. She just kicked ass. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but we always had adequate time to prepare and make sure we felt really comfortable with stuff. And, you know, there was at least a window to learn the choreography. I've been on other productions where they're basically like, they show you what to do and then they're like, okay, now do it. You know, <laughs> you're like, right now? <laughs> like, yeah, no. But, you know, there was always like taking you to a second stage and working a little bit out on, you know, there and mm -hmm. figuring it out. And so that's really what I remember most about the fighting sequences. I did yeah. really love doing it. I had a great stunt double myself, Lisa Hoyle. She's amazing. She doubled, I know, um, Darla, Julie Benz a little bit oh, yeah. and, and had worked with Julie and actually myself on projects since. She's amazing. But uh, yeah, she was great. And at one point, the stunt team gave me like a bag with like knee pads and elbow pads. And, you know, I'm sure to try to make me feel like I was doing a good job. But <laughs> I mean, you did knock one of their stunt people out. So it seems like you were like pretty strong, pretty strong. I mean, and, uh, but see, that, see, that would make me a horrible stunt person because I would like, oh, that's what, true. If, <laughs> what if that was an actor? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's funny because actors always think, well, I can do it. Well, after that, I was always like, now I totally understand why you don't want us throwing like, Right. punches at each other. 
Right. <laughs> um, can you talk a little bit about, um, this isn't quite related to stunt work, but it is kind of, I would imagine, body work um, in terms of working with Charlie um, on the Ben Glory mm -hmm. overlap. You obviously didn't really know exactly what was going on until we did. But did you do work with him to um, bring yourselves like together in certain movements, certain uh, mannerisms at all? Um, to be honest, no. We, I mean, when we did the, the morphing back and forth that was a lot of choreography as well you know mm. and like free like stop overlap I would overlap his dialogue and then freeze mm. and then he would come in and then he would reverse and overlap my dialogue leading into his dialogue so there mm. were in terms of that there was a lot of coordination but in terms of like the bin character and the glory character we didn't get together and be like wouldn't it be cool if like Ben always rose his you know left hand and then glory did the same <laughs> thing there wasn't any of that primarily because we didn't know what was going on. Um, yeah, yeah. But I, again, I kind of am glad there wasn't in a way because I feel like it really made the performances separate and really organic. You you mentioned too um, that you came to this set and you know you looked up to Sarah Michelle Gellar as somebody who had been working for a long time and was leading the show. Uh, and I wonder what the experience was like coming to you know, because when we were in season one, season two, even season three, it's like people didn't really know how big Buffy was at that point. But and they also hadn't been working for that many years together. But you came to the set and, uh, you know, the, the core crew of, of uh, Scoobies, if you will, had been working together for years. So what was that like coming to the set and sort of finding your place there? Well, I mean, it was kind of like you can imagine. It was it was definitely awkward for me. I was shy. I didn't really know how to behave, sort of. Like, I had just come off my other big project, which was Bring It On, where we were literally set loose in San Diego for five months, you know, wearing <laughs> cheerleading outfits and bikinis, you know? So it was crazy time filming that movie. And then the set was very refined, very serious in a way, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. People, there were deadlines and people had to meet those deadlines. And this was a word perfect show. So like if a line was misspoken by a certain, you know, word or two, there was a retake and you were corrected. Right. So there was a lot of pressure um, on me, especially I feel self-imposed pressure, by the way, not from anyone else, sure. but just to, to be an equal and to live up to these standards and prove that I was worthy of being an actress on the show, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I didn't get to interact with the whole Scooby gang a lot until the very final episode or two. I think it's even mm -hmm. the final episode. I kind of forget. But now it's funny because I have such a great relationship with so many, everyone on the show really, because we've spent the last like 15 years hanging out at conventions together. <laughs> I mean, I've been to like Paris and Australia and all these wonderful places with, you know, Emma and, and James and <laughs> Allison and, and Julie and Juliet and everybody, yeah. even, you know, the Firefly crew and the Angel crew, like right. Charisma and I are really close and Summer and Jewel. And it's just, we all kind of grew up in this very special Whedon time and we've all bonded through the years because of that. Yeah. And that uh, let's go there for a second, because I think that that's really special and incredible. And 
I would love to hear about your experience um, being at cons and and also you've been like moderating panels recently and, and things like that. So can you talk to us about your experience with the fandom uh, of Buffy? And I mean, I guess the, the Whedon verse since you expanded it out past that um, and, and let us know what that's been like for you over the years. Well, I always say like when people ask me, what, what was it, you know, what was it like to be on Buffy or what does Buffy mean to you? To me, mm-hmm. it's so much more than just the experience of filming during that year. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it's really been a lottery ticket for my life <laughs> in many ways. <laughs> my core group of friends is all from the show. You know, my support system is all from the show. My, mm-hmm. my you know, exper- the show has opened so many doors for me. It's allowed me to travel so many places. Um, and the fandom is the most loyal, intelligent fandom in the world, I believe. You know, I'll take mm-hmm. that up against the Whovians or, or, you know, the Walking <laughs> yeah. Dead gang, anyone. I, I just really think that the Whedon fandom is really something special. And it's just been an honor and a blessing to be a part of it. It's so it's really powerful to hear you say that. And and we've experienced that, too. We had the chance to speak with James and Charisma um, out of that the list of people that you spoke with, spoke about. And they say the same thing. And I think what's so powerful about it, too, is that we're having this experience. I mean, you know, we're talking about a show that was on the air 20 years ago. And through us talking about it, people just as happens with cons, right? People who love this show find each other. Um, and so that's happening with the podcast that we're doing. It happens at cons and we've gotten to bear witness to, uh, you know, sort of a similar thing that you're talking about that's happening between you and the other people creating the show. Right. The fans of the show have formed these chosen families that carry them through life's ups and downs. And it's, it's just really incredibly powerful. Yeah, it really is. And, and, you know, all fandom is great, but I just feel like this group united at the right time, at the right, you know what I mean? At the right moment when when people really needed some sort of unity and, as you say, chosen family, I guess. Right. And we find ourselves, uh, unfortunately, sort of back there with that same or a different but similar set of needs. Um, and I think... I mean, that's the power of the show, too, is that it becomes relevant to where we are in the world. Um, somebody actually wrote in to say, you have a line in the show, um, Glory has a line in the show, that if she could crap a better exist, she could crap a better existence than the one on planet Earth. Um, and and so this person, uh, Karen, wrote in, if, if you, Claire, could crap a better existence <laughs> uh, than the one we're currently living here on Earth, what might that look like? Um, well, first which of all, is tangential. <laughs> first of all, <laughs> Actresses don't crap. So no, I'm kidding. <laughs> of course, um, of course. Right. <laughs> what a weird word, by the way. Right. It's I like, know. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, saying it sounds so funny. I I don't know how I would improve. I I mean I do. I have my own. It's a massive question. It's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> how long? Do how we would have? you fix the world, Claire? Right. Can you? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think to, I think the blanket answer I would say is to instill more uh, education and mm. emotional mm. intelligence across the board yeah. amongst humanity. <laughs> and yeah. maybe maybe then we can start a conversation that isn't fueled by ego and um, mm-hmm. narcissistic tendencies. Mm-hmm. And, and then once we're able to have a conversation and a dialogue about differences, we, we can start to move our our political agenda and our environmental agenda 
in the direction that it needs to be moved in without our own um, mentalities usurping that direction. Yeah. Which I guess is why media continues to be so important is because like those those lessons that education often does happen through the media that we watch. Um, you know, mm -hmm. our our big thing over here in buffering the vampire slayer is smashing the patriarchy and, you know, letting people of all genders have feelings and the th right. aligning with a lot of what you're saying. And that's a core piece of this show. And I think, you know, as, as somebody who is continuing to do the work that you do, um, a lot of the work that you do does promote that message. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I hope at the end of the day, you know, it's tricky, I think. I think being an actress uh, or an actor, I guess, right now because of the political environment and there's a lot of there's a lot of emotion on both sides. Both parties, you know, mm -hmm. have have a tremendous amount of emotion and there's a lot yeah. um of responsibility when you have a public voice of making sure what you say and what you put out there, what you put your name behind isn't fueled by your emotion, but it's fueled by facts and accuracy mm -hmm. and, you know, careful thought. And so... <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of that happening right now, but yes. <laughs> that would yes. be nice if more of that happened. <laughs> it would. It really would. Um, so... I want to take us on a, a bit of a turn from there because I have some uh, lighter, fun, probably easier questions for you, if that's all right. Yes. First of all, this is like su super random, but years ago, I want to say two to three years ago, okay. um, myself and Jenny, uh, I don't remember where we were, but we wandered into the living room of the place that we were and there was a movie on and it was called Big Ass Spider. And we were like, that is a title that we are into. And so we watched this movie. <laughs> and so when I was telling Jenny, like, oh, can you look over the questions? And like, you know, is there anything else you want to add? She was like, can you please ask Claire about working on Big Ass Spider? Because that was a delight. Oh my gosh. Thank you. First of all, well, I think it's one of the most underrated movies that I've been a part it's of. It's so good. It's so good. People are always like, what is it about? I'm like, it's like Ghostbusters, but with a spider. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Um, thank you for bringing that up. That was a really <laughs> fun movie to work on. Greg uh, Grunberg and Lombardo Boyer and myself, and then directed by Mike Mendez, who I've done three films with Mike. Um First of all, we, the four of us laugh and we're like, we're not even sure there was a script because we improvised <laughs> so much of that movie. Um, so much was improvised. I was, by the way, pregnant with my son, five months oh pregnant God. by the time we were done filming. And I remember wardrobe <gasps> would be like, suck in. So I'm like, it's a baby. Like, it's an actual human. <laughs> it's my third child. I can't hide him anymore. You know, even if you watch carefully now that I've told you this, the tank top yeah. scene at the very end of the movie where they have me uh -huh. in a tank top and I'm kissing Greg. It's like, I'm like literally look like I can't breathe because I'm trying to hold my stomach in so much. <laughs> um, but it was such a fun film to make. Actually, I remember getting a call. I was at Dragon Con and Mike was like, hey, do you want to do this movie? And I'm like, sure. I'm like, send me the script. He's like, well, there's the script is changing. I'm like, okay, well, just send me what you got. He's like, well, the title's changing. I'm like, okay, <laughs> what's the title now? He's like, Mega Spider. I'm like, oh, yikes. And I told my agent that my agent's like, it really doesn't get worse than that, Claire. Like, mega, <laughs> like that's the bottom of the barrel. I'm like, well, I'm going to do the movie because they're my friends. And, you know, I really, I really like Mike. And I had a good experience on Grave Dancers and whatnot. 
So I called Mike back and I'm like, yeah, I, I'm in. Like, when do we start shooting? He's like, can you be here in like 24 hours? <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, dude, I'm in Atlanta. What happened? <laughs> He's like, well, you know, just some last minute changes. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll be back. So literally hopped into it. Didn't have any time to prep. <laughs> like never played this like military like character. Knew yeah. it was going to be a funny movie, but didn't want to hit the jokes too hard. You know, left that to Lombardo, who is brilliant <laughs> in the movie. And we just had an absolute blast making it. And we we will be doing a sequel. Really? Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Wow. And I'm excited. I can't wait. The first thing I do when I get off the call with you is to call Jenny and be like, guess what I found out? Tell her <laughs> there there is a Big Ass Spider sequel. And actually, wow. Greg and I wait. do reprise our roles in a movie called Tales of Halloween. We reprise oh. our two characters from that very briefly. Okay, so we'll need to watch that next in preparation for... Not really. It's just more of like Big a... Big yeah. Spider 2. <laughs> you, you, we'll make sure you don't have to prep at all for it. That's that's our kind of filmmaking. <laughs> um, another question that's sort of related to, to the set of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And you mentioned, you know, the, the costume department. You had all these incredible outfits. We've talked to various members of the cast so far, and we know that, like, James kept his leather coat. Um, we know that somebody took Mercedes McNabb's teeth, and she doesn't know who has them, but she doesn't have them. So we, we wondered if you took anything from the set that you have um, from your time as Glory. I did not take anything, but I have a really cool story for you, if you have a minute. Right. Okay. I do. I do. I have a minute. Okay. So... <laughs> Uh, at the end of season seven, they had, um, I believe it was Warner Brothers and Fox, had a eBay sale with a lot of items from the set mm. and wardrobe pieces and whatnot. And they put everything on eBay and people could bid and it was, you know, this nice online auction and they made some money and felt good about it. And there you have it. And that's the end of the story. Until <laughs> a couple months later, I got this package in the mail and I'm like, this is really weird. So I open up this package and it was the robe I had worn in the hundredth episode. And a fan had purchased it for me oh. with the certificate of authenticity and everything and wrote this really beautiful note and was like, no one deserves this robe other than you. So here you go. It should be with oh its rightful God. owner. Isn't that awesome? Oh, no. That's too much for my emotions. I know. I know. <laughs> That's incredible. Yes. Oh, whoever you are, that's it. That's like the spirit of this whole thing as as we get to experience now, you know, in, in the work that we're doing. That's like, it, that's why it got me is just like, yeah, it, it, it's present in every little piece of um, of everything that came out of the show. Yeah. Um, okay. A couple quick things like the bubble bath scene. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody wrote in and wanted to know how long were you stuck? in that tub filming that scene. <laughs> a long time. I did have stuff off. I had like, you know, nude underwear and then like a nude, you know, like strapless bra sort of right. thing. But, but you're still just like, yeah, I'm just like, dude, <laughs> I am hanging out in this tub while y'all talk about you know, eating your Milky Ways and drinking <laughs> your hot chocolates all around me. Um, it did take a while. They kept trying to refresh the water 
because it, it really got cold quite quickly. You know, it wasn't a bathroom yeah. where it's an insulated situation. Right. There was no thing to encapsulate the heat. So they would put warm water in, be two minutes later, it'd be freezing. <laughs> so it, it wasn't the best scene to film, but by far not the worst in my career. <laughs> God. And the, so the Minions, we haven't talked about the Minions uh, much, but they're wonderful. They're just, just a wonderful compliment to Glory and your relationship to them uh, is really fun. We've just started as of this taping, like digging into that a bit, and they've just started giving you their nicknames. Yes. Uh, you mentioned that this is a word perfect show. And so I, I think that I already know the answer to this question, um, which is, were all of those nicknames, like, was every single one of those written in the script word for word? Did it, any of them come out of thin air? Were they made up? No, they, they were all with? word for word written in the script. Incredible. Yes. And they were great <laughs> characters. They were really fun. So Glory sucks uh, the energy, I guess, out of people's brains as a, as a means of sustenance. Um, and we talked a little bit about the CGI on the show, which is in a very specific CGI time period in the world. Right. Very. Uh, very. <laughs> <laughs> it was like suddenly we were like, oh, there's CGI. We should make everything CGI. Right. Um, but I wonder what that what that process was um, for you as an actor, you know, behind the scenes without the CGI. Um, when you would have to do that, would you have to just like put your hands on this other actor's head and stand there for a while? Or how did that work? Yes, exactly. No, that's exactly what it was. You know, it's like, I remember the scene with Amber in particular in the park because, oh. you know, obviously she's such a pivotal character and, you know, they yeah. wanted to get it right. And they were like, no, bend your fingers a little more. No, fluff her hair out. So it looks like the fingers are going <laughs> a little further in. No, I'm like, Amber, when was the last time you washed your hair? Fortunately, <laughs> she had nice hair, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, it was really just about, you know, collapsing my fingers as they went towards her skull. <laughs> yeah. Was there a period of time that, because the series was supposed to, uh, or was written to be able to end at the end of season five mm -hmm. um, before it was renewed. So was there a period of time um, sort of after the finale of five when it was like glory essentially is the last big bad and, and really caused the death of the Slayer, like once and for all? Or was the renewal of the series already known by the time you got to the end of the series? It was not known, if I remember correctly. It was not so known. So for a so, moment in time. Yes. Yeah. For a beautiful <laughs> moment. <laughs> for a beautiful moment, it was all about me. And then... <laughs> yeah. No, I, it was... There was definitely a period where no one knew what was happening. And of course, you know, the main cast was much more informed. But no, I remember ending and like being like, everybody kind of being like, okay, I guess that's it. Right. We're going to go home now, you know, and nobody really knowing if they would be back for season six. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it is a, a powerful ending where I'm curious to see what uh, season six and seven do in our conversations because five, five is a favorite. Uh, Glory is a massive, uh, big, bad favorite. Season five is oh, full so of flattered. a lot of, oh, <laughs> I mean, you. it's just, it, it's so fun to watch. It, you know, it's fun to watch Buffy, um, as a character being like, you know, a, a petite blonde badass. Um, and so when we get into season five and we get to watch 
you go head to head with her. Um, it's very powerful. It's it's really, really wonderful. So I I don't have any more specific questions for you apart from, you know, is there anything that I didn't ask you? Are there stories that you want to share that I didn't ask, I didn't prompt you for um, or anything you want to leave us with? Well, I I feel like I gave you some good stories, but I'm sure there's more. <laughs> I'm going to have to, I'll hit you up on Twitter if I think of another good one. I'm sure I will. Um, <laughs> but no, I, it's been my pleasure to come on and I just am always, you know, really grateful to you and, and obviously the listeners of the podcast and the fandom in general, just thank you for your support of the show and and really thank you for your support of me too. I feel the love, the online love, and I hope I can give a little bit of that back. Well, thank you for giving us this wonderful character to unite around um, and for being a part of something that's very special to so many of us. Yeah, she was, I'll just say she was a once in a lifetime character to play. You know, there's never going to be anyone like her. That's for sure. (sighs) Glory. Glory. So uh, (laughs) you mentioned uh, the online community, and I think most people know where to find you, but do you want to tell us um, where to find you on social media? And if you have any projects coming up that you want to talk about, um, please do. Sure. Um, If you obviously Twitter is at Claire Kramer and Instagram is at Claire Kramer official. And I would say if you haven't, I had a series drop on Amazon Prime called Dark Web and there's it's each has each episode is sort of a standalone episode. I believe episode five is the one that my character is in and she's she's pretty interesting. So you may want to check it out. So great. Did you have fun by the way uh, moderating the Angel 20th reunion oh, panel? Oh my gosh, how much fun was that? That was amazing. I had the best oh, time. Yeah. It had to be really I mean the the lineup was incredible. It was um, great. All the wonderful humans that were there. Yeah, it was too bad David couldn't make it, but everyone else was there and and you know, there for the fans and the fans were there for them, so it was great. Totally. We saw some great photos where somebody brought um the angel puppet to oh, be part right. of the cast. <laughs> <one's>. <laughs> right? I know. Which was very brilliant. Yeah. Uh, I was super into those. Um, Well, thank you. Thank you again. Thank you for taking the time out. Uh, This is such a special experience for us to get to hear your behind the scenes stories and just to hear from you. Uh, And thank you for all the work that you continue to do out there in the world. Absolutely. Thank you.